Hello, everybody. Uh, it's lovely to be here. Let me start with a little story. And it happened a number of years ago. I was outside a supermarket and I noticed the sign that caught my attention. And the sign said, free milk, free milk. And it's not what I expected because supermarkets are there in order to make money. So it had me wondering, what's going on? Because life teaches you to ask questions about things such as this, because life teaches you that if something seems too good to be true, it usually is, that there ain't no such thing as a free lunch, and if you pay peanuts, you get monkeys. So I thought to myself, there's got to be a catch. And you might think the same thing about what I'm going to tell you uh, today. Because what I'm going to say may be hard for you to believe, that being a Christian, having a new life in God, having your sins forgiven and being able to look forward to heaven isn't something you work for or earn or have to reach a certain standard to achieve, but it's something that comes to you as a gift for free. No secret clauses, no fine print or conditions. It sounds too good to be true, but it's what we find in the Bible. And especially in the passage that we just had read out to us from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, where God tells us through his words in the Bible that the difference between life and death isn't the things that we do, but what God's done for us for free through Jesus. And how does that work? Uh, what does that mean? Could you please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, where the author, Paul, starts by saying this to his readers, and he says, you were dead. Verse 1, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And who is Paul talking to and what is he saying? So, who is Paul talking to or who is Paul written to? He's writing to Christians in a place called Ephesus uh, that you can find in modern-day Turkey. And he's saying that you are dead, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, which seems like a bit of a strange thing to say, given that people are actually alive and reading his letter. Uh, but the death that Paul is talking about here isn't the uh, living, breathing type of, uh, or not breathing type of death, uh, but rather what Paul is saying is that the Ephesian Christians were dead before God, dead before God in terms of relationship. And this has the same type of idea as the phrase, you are dead to me. You know what that means? You are dead to me. You, you no longer exist in my world. We are cut off. We are estranged. We are no longer in relationship. And that's what death does, doesn't it? It cuts us off from each other. Uh, death has cut me off from my parents. Uh, my parents have died. That means I no longer speak to them, uh, have meals with them, or spend any time with them. Uh, death forms this impenetrable barrier that the living can't cross. And believe it or not, it's exactly the same when it comes to us and God. We are cut off. We are dead to God. Why? Because of our sin. And why is that the case? Well, what is sin? And, and sin is one of those words, isn't it, which uh, people get confused about. 
Uh, as you heard before, I wasn't always a Christian. I didn't become a Christian until my 20s. And I used to think that sin was doing something particularly bad, something particularly immoral or criminal, something really wrong that only bad people did. But in the Bible, sin's slightly different to that. Uh, sin has more to do with our motivations and attitude. And in a nutshell, what sin is, is saying yes to ourselves and no to God. It's putting what we want and we think before what God wants and God thinks. In other words, sin is a rejection of God's right to rule over our lives. And by that definition, all of us have sinned. I mean, all of us have done this at some stage in our lives, even the very best of us. We've all been selfish at one point. We've all been loose with the truth. We've all lived our lives as if God wasn't there. We've all had those times, as Paul says in verse 3, where we've gratified our cravings by putting our desires and thoughts first. Sin is saying yes to ourselves and no to God. And it's this, it's this sin, this rejection of the rightful place of God to rule over our lives as our creator that's led to our broken relationship and led to us being dead before him and cut off from him. And not only that, uh, the Bible also says that as a result of our sin, we are now deserving of wrath. The Bible says that God is actually angry about the way that we've treated him. Because, because sin is no neutral act. We sin against God. And because God is holy and God is just, he can't just ignore it or sweep it under the carpet. And as a result, a day is coming when all of us will have to give an account for the way that we've treated him on the day of judgment. And here's the thing. Paul here is writing to the Ephesians, but what is true for the Ephesians is also true for us. We, like them, will also have to stand before God. And we, like them, have also sinned against God. And we, like them, as a result, are dead before God, facing his judgment because of the way that we've placed ourselves before him. And I know that for many, uh, for many people, uh, especially those in our community who don't know Jesus, it doesn't feel like that at all. Because life goes on as if that wasn't the case, even in lockdown. Uh, we're still living our lives. We're still getting on with business. We're still raising our families. We're still getting on with life. But here is the thing. As I talk to people about that, some of them actually say, yeah, life goes on, but I feel sort of empty. And many ask the question, is that all that there is? I mean, have you ever asked that or felt that yourself? That sometimes life seems a bit hollow and uh, fleeting and pointless. If you've, ever felt, if you've ever felt that way, the Bible tells you why. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it says that God has set eternity in our hearts. That he, in creating us, has also placed a yearning for something in us beyond this life, beyond what's in front of us, and we can touch, taste, and smell. 
that we've been created for something much more than just this. We've been created to know God and be part of his family. And that's why when God isn't there, when God isn't part of our life, when we are dead before God, life isn't all that it can be. We've been created for more than this. And we can feel that in our hearts, the fact that we're actually dead. But here is the good news. Here is the good news. Death is not the end. Because the way that Paul speaks to the Ephesians shows that what he is saying about them was actually something that existed in their past. Have a look. He says, you, you Ephesians, were, were, past tense, dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live. We were, past tense, by nature deserving of wrath. Paul speaks to the Ephesians as if something has changed, and something has changed if you have a look at verse 4. You were dead in your sins. You were dead before God, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. We were dead, dead before God in our transgressions and sins, but out of his love and his mercy, we've been made alive through Jesus. God has brought us from death to life. And how has he done this? How has he brought us from death to life? How has he dealt with the problem of sin? Well, one of my favourite ways of explaining this happened when I, before I, uh, I learned this, before I became a Christian, is one of the things that actually helped me understand what Jesus had done. And it goes a bit like this. So, I need to pull out my phone at this point. Um, imagine this, this, this hand here. This is me, and imagine God's up there. All right? And that's my relation. There's nothing in the way of my relationship with God. And just imagine here is my phone. And this phone has recorded every sinful thing, sinful thought, sinful action that I've done, everything, everything that I've done where I've placed myself before God. Uh, this phone has a massive memory, okay? Cloud-based. Now, this is me and God. What does sin do? Bang. Sin gets in the way of my relationship with God. Sin cuts me off from God. And this is where Jesus comes in. So this is Jesus. Uh, Jesus has no sin. Uh, Jesus has a perfect relationship with God. And what does Jesus do? Jesus comes and lives among us. And not only does he live among us and teach great things, but Jesus also goes to the cross on that very first Good Friday. And he dies on the cross. But what does he do when he dies on the cross? You see this? Our sin is placed on Jesus. And Jesus receives the judgment we deserve, the punishment we deserve for our sins in our place. And what happens to us when Jesus does that? Look at our, look at our hand now. Our sins have been dealt with. We were dead because of our transgressions and sins. And now because of Jesus, having taken our sins on himself, we are now rightly related to God. Our sins have been removed and we are now alive to God once more. Now, does that make sense? Can, can you see how that works? There's been a great exchange where our sins, our guilt, our judgment have been placed on Jesus so he can be forgiven 
set free and made right with God. And Jesus does this for us, not because we deserved it, not because we earned it. The Bible tells us that God does this for us out of his great love and mercy for us. And this love and mercy and generosity, all that he's done for us and bringing us from death to life is summed up in one word that you'll see there in your Bibles in verse 5. And that word is grace. Verse 5, it is by grace you have been saved. And this simple word grace uh, uh, lies at the heart of the whole Christian message. The word means unmerited favour. It means getting something for free. It means getting something for nothing. We've done nothing to deserve. Uh, one way you can think of it, uh, or remember it, is, goes a bit like this. It is God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E. That's grace. But here is the thing. Why do we need it? Why is it so special? Why is it so good? Let me give you two reasons for why we need grace. Uh, firstly, as, as, as was mentioned before, I used to be a doctor and I've seen plenty of dead people in my professional life. And uh, let me tell you something, and I'm in no way meaning to be disrespectful at this point. Despite their best efforts, the dead can do nothing to help themselves. Because when you are dead, no matter who you are, or what you have done, or what you've achieved in your life, you are absolutely powerless to change your situation. And it's exactly the same when it comes to us being dead before God. Because secondly, when it comes to being saved from our sins, when it comes to being made alive, the Bible makes it very clear that religion doesn't work. I'll say that again. Religion doesn't work. That the Bible is very clear in saying that being a Christian and having a restored relationship with God doesn't come about through the things that we do. Being moral or reaching a certain level of behaviour doesn't work because we can never be good enough for God's perfect standards. And being religious doesn't work. It's not what God wants. Even getting baptised and confirmed uh, doesn't get us there in the end. Because what it says in verse 9 of our passage, have a look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 9, when it comes to us being saved from our sins and being made alive, is that it is not by works that this comes about. Rather, we are saved by grace and grace alone through what Jesus has done for us, not the things that we do. Life, forgiveness, the promise of heaven, they all come to us for free through the gift of God's grace. And this brings us back to the very beginning uh, of what we were talking about. Let me ask you, what would you do if you were in front of that supermarket and were offered free milk? Well, what did I do? I didn't take any. I didn't take any because it just didn't make sense to me. Supermarkets are there to make money. I was very 
very suspicious. And it turned out that I was right to be suspicious because what I discovered was there'd been a blackout the night before and all their refrigerators had been knocked out. So they had to get rid of stock and they were just giving it away for free. But it's not always like that, is it? When it comes to things for free. Sometimes uh, we need to view things for free from a different perspective. Let me give you some examples. So uh, my son Thomas has uh, just turned 18 and for his birthday we bought him a volleyball net. He loves playing volleyball with his friends. And when we son happy birthday and cut the cake and all that, here we are, we handed him his presents, present and here's the question, should he have accepted it? Or said, there's got to be a catch. Let me give you another example. Let's just imagine a man proposing to the woman of his dreams or a woman proposing to the man of her dreams, uh, getting down on one knee and saying, will you marry me? And then when the ring, uh, when he pulls out the ring and offers a place on her finger, should she say yes or ask, well, what's going on? How much is this going to cost me? Do you accept PayPal? I mean, they're ridiculous examples and a bit over the top. And I can't think of anybody who would respond in that fashion. But here is the thing. Why? Why do we think that's ridiculous when it comes to the things being given for free? What is the difference between free milk from a supermarket or a present or a ring? It all comes down to who's giving the gift, what they're like and why they are doing it. Because when it comes to free milk from a supermarket, they're just getting rid of dead stock. But the present and the ring are expressions of love. And it's exactly the same when it comes to God's gift of grace, this gift of grace that rescues us from our sin and brings us from death to life. And that while it's right to be suspicious of many free things in this life, because yeah, there is no such thing as a free lunch, and if something seems too good to be true, it usually is, that's right, When it comes to Jesus and what he has done for us, it's different because what God has given us flows out of his love, his love, his mercy, his generosity and care for us. And as a result, there's really only one right way to respond to this love. And that is to reach out your hands and to accept what he's offering. Trusting in what Jesus has done for us by taking our sin on himself, rather than trusting in ourselves to make ourselves right with God. And this trust that I'm talking about, the Bible has a word for this, and that word is faith. Faith is trust. It's not wishful thinking or some fuzzy feeling. Faith is trusting in something or someone to deliver on what they have promised. And it's something we do in everyday life. For example, every time we put on a seatbelt, that is an exercise in faith. Thinking that the seatbelt will keep us safe uh, if we get into an accident. And what we do when we trust in Jesus and place our faith in him is trust that Jesus will keep us safe when we stand before God. Knowing that he's done all that we need to deal with our sins 
and to be brought from death to life to a new relationship with God. Not because of anything that we've done to deserve this, not because we, we've done something to earn it, but because God loves us and has given us this by grace. So let me finish by asking you this. If you haven't done so already, is this something you want? Are you willing to accept God's wonderful, loving, generous, life-changing offer of grace by trusting in Jesus, even though it comes to you for free? And for those of us who have accepted it, let me ask you a different question. Having received this wonderful, generous gift, are you willing to share it? Because it is one of those gifts that is meant to be shared with all those around us so that they too can enjoy it. So that they too can know and experience the new life that God's offering. Life from death, freedom from wrath, not because we've earned it, but because of God's love. Shown to us through Jesus, who has made us alive for free, forever, because of God's grace. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are often suspicious when things are offered to us for free, but we thank you so much for the free gift that you've offered us through Jesus, the grace that you've shown us that brings us from death to life and pays the price for our sins. We pray, Father, that you might break through our suspicion and soften our hearts so that we would trust in Jesus and what he has done for us, rather than trusting in ourselves, and know the life that you created us for. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.